what was first just a dream has become a frightening reality for those who may oppose us. Long live the empire. Welcome, my dear subjects, to the reign of the emperor. Well, I, that's one way to enter the show. Based on how Ahsoka ended, I, we're not too far from that. Although, based well, on technically, how the, the emperor's dead. Technically, is he? he isn't. Is he? Because uh, because the one remember, referred to as the emperor. No, no, no. Remember, remember, we're in Disney canon right now. It's <laughs> oh all the way alive right now. Clones among clones. All right. So, uh, dear listeners, as you can tell, we're back. The, tr- the trio is here. We have our special Star Wars senior correspondent, Jamie, Sword of the Jedi. Ooh. I am Demetrius. And I'm Demetrius. And Meet Meets presents the Blurred City Podcast. All right. So we are doing the season finale of episode eight of Ahsoka titled The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. Let me tell you, when I saw that title, I almost flipped out because I, I really love the titles of just the tie-ins this uh, this year. So with that, we're going to get into, as usual, final Pulse of the People recap of the season, um, just all eight episodes, but particularly this episode, then discuss that. Give our MVPs of the show, rate it, hit or miss. Any other awards, then our big questions coming from the show plus of the week. And then instead of like since they're are no more episodes, predictions, and just a discussion of the big picture view of Star Wars, and then wrap this up on a controversial Star Wars takes. <laughs> but before we do all that, we need our legal spiegel. The purpose of this podcast is to explore digital and print media. All sources we reference, Disney, are owned by the respective company, Disney, and our thoughts and opinions are strictly our own and reflect no biases or corporate agendas. Hail to the Empire. Your discretion is advised. All right. So, <laughs> so with that, uh, we are also a uh, quick housekeeping. We are going to have our Wednesday shows return for the main podcast. We are interviewing Midnight Comics. So that's going to be a very good conversation uh, that we're going to get into. Also, we are not doing Loki weekly recaps. I wish we could, but we just do not have the time nor the energy. We literally had like an hour discussion on how we can just watch one movie together. So <laughs> It's wild. So let's uh let's hop in. So we're gonna go final pulse of the people of Ahsoka. Jamie, can you give us your thoughts? Oh my goodness. Um, I said at the beginning that this show was gonna be Dave's masterpiece. I stand by that statement. Uh, so great. I still feel like nothing is gonna beat part five for a long time for me in this show. Um, but overall, just the character development, the intrigue about where we could go with this story. Um, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's incredible. Dave Filoni is still the only person I trust with Star Wars. He proved it in this show. Um, it's phenomenal. It's great. Love it. I, I concur all the way. Uh, my, uh, every single statement that she said was true, but the, the only difference is say, uh, I, the only thing I, I would like to uh, say a slight difference is that I trust Dave Filoni and John Favreau with Star Wars. Uh, those those are the two, uh, not not just Filoni, even though Filoni is uh, him. Now, now, when it comes to the show, comes to the, to the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Oh, wait, sorry. Wrong title of uh, the Jedi, the Witch and the Warlord. Um, all I have to say is that this this was a great, phenomenal episode. Uh, the, the magnum opus is coming soon and I just my soul is not ready. Yeah. Um, just so I'll save my thoughts, but Pulse of the People. I think they concur with like everything that you two said. Only thing that I kind of heard that was slight 
difference is just that the fact that since there is more after this, there's a lot of, as we get into the review, questions that are left unanswered. And then there's going to be some big ones that because of real life circumstances are going to have to like actually get answered as well. But we'll get into it when we get into it. So with that, again, I think Ahsoka definitely a return to form, especially post Mandalorian season three, which I didn't think was bad. But in terms of reception of it, definitely uh, Star Wars is on the up and up again, which is what Disney needed. So let's get into this breakdown and recap. Who wants to kick it off? No, we might as well let the sword of the Jedi kick it off as we've done every episode. Okay, am I starting with just this episode's recap, or how are we? This episode's recap. Okay. Start at the beginning. I guess, actually, I'm going to backtrack just a moment to last week's episode, um, because I noticed that y'all missed a really significant uh, moment to highlight in this last one. So we have to highlight this, that, like, first of all, part seven from last week, um, I really feel like this was Dave's, like, tribute to Empire Strikes Back and especially to Leia and how important Leia has been to the story because again like as you guys mentioned Leia kind of shows up to save the day as she does many times in the original trilogy um, in that episode but also there's a really cool moment um, between Yang and Ahsoka where they're flying into the graveyard right where Yang has verbatim a line that Leia says to Han when they fly into the asteroid field in Empire Strikes Back so um, and that line in case you were not able to catch it was we're going to get pulverized out here if we stay around much longer um leia says exactly the same thing originally in the asteroid field and then it's kind of cool because the graveyard is very much a parallel to the asteroid field it's a really cool moment so i wanted to highlight that um anyway moving forward so i would also be remiss if i didn't stop to nerd out over the narnia reference because super hardcore love narnia so the title made me very happy getting into this final episode so um you know, this is this is our finale. It's got to be a big payoff episode. So we know there's a lot of things that are going to happen. So from the opening, um, we've got like, you know, this interesting scenario of Thrawn has kind of shown he is very scared of Anakin and very scared of Anakin's apprentice. Kind of, kind of starting in part seven. And that will continue through really the rest of this episode. Um, I'm also... Okay, hold on, timeouts, because I'm having some, some blending of seven and eight because I watched both of them last night. So anyway, um, as we kind of get into where like episode eight actually starts, um, we know that we've kind of been set up, huh? A gift of shadows. Yeah, yep. yes, yes, yes. So that's where our episode eight starts, um, which is interesting because there's a lot of references back like directly to the Night Sisters from the Clone Wars in that scene, which is really cool. Um, first of all, it's like she kind of like gets the face markings that we see from the other ones. There's like this gift of like, and then it kind of poses the question like, what really is the gift of shadows? Is that just kind of this extra layer? Is she now becoming like more akin to one of those great mothers? Um, like what's going on there? They have the blade of Talzin that shows up, which is a really cool reference to mother Talzin from the Clone Wars. Um, her voice actually changes to a little bit more of that kind of like deeper or echoey type. Yeah, ethereal voice. Um, and that's kind of where we start with this episode. And it's interesting because um, if we do, again, because we're talking about Mother Talzin in the Clone Wars, um, Mother Talzin has this quote from one of the first times she shows up in the Clone Wars about how Night Sisters are only loyal to each other. So it's really interesting that like you have Thrawn that's there witnessing this happen and he kind of has this interesting relationship with them. Um, 
And we'll actually find out later that Thrawn's the one who actually woke up the Night Sisters, apparently, um, and woke up the witches and got this whole process started. But you have this really interesting kind of moment where there's this like gift and this power that's passed on to Morgan. And then we kind of, you know, flash to our title credit um, for Ahsoka and then move on. Um, We jump to our heroes who are kind of just kind of traveling along with their little pod of I feel like this is just the newest iteration of the Ewoks, which I'm not complaining about it, but like they literally feel like Ewoks to me. Yeah, the little noughties. Um, And so they're just kind of trucking along. Um, Thrawn, again, is still concerned about the fact that like they're they're here. Um, So he ends up sending this like air assault to um, attack them. There's like two. Actually, this is kind of the really cool closing of the scene after Morgan gets like her powers. Like there's two TIE fighters that drop right behind Thrawn and push out. And those TIE fighters are going off to basically try to cripple or destroy, disable whatever heroes. So the ship does end up getting disabled. But Sabine in classic Sabine fashion um, basically like punches and uses the ship's two wings to like destroy both of the TIE fighters. Um, unfortunately, that means they no longer have a ship to try to get back to pursuing Thrawn and these other guys. Um, so there's, you know, this whole sequence of, well, okay, Thrawn then reevaluates, okay, we have to prepare for a ground assault. Um, so we're going to set up this strategy. And then Ahsoka, it's really cool to see Ahsoka step into this like new like leadership perspective, if you will. Um, and actually, I guess I should step back because I think there's a couple key moments that happen before we even get to where those time miters arrive at their scene. Because so we've had Ezra, Sabine, Ahsoka all reunited. That was the end of the last episode. And then we flash to when we come to, again, our heroes, quote unquote, um, Ezra's rebuilding a lightsaber. Okay, this has a really, really cool moment because Rebels fans will recognize that um, Kanan's lightsaber looked a very specific way, right? And so Ezra's kind of arguing with Yang about like, what's the best way to build a lightsaber? And Yang is, of course, like, I've taught younglings for like hundreds of years. What do you mean? Like, this is... Anyway, so they have this really funny debate. And he's like, no, the emitter's too narrow. Like, I need a different one. And then as soon as Yang realizes that Ezra was trained by Kanan, he pulls out like the other piece that we find out is the like only other version of the piece that Kanan had on his lightsaber and says and he even refers to him as Caleb, which is his original name, um, which is cool. But he has this really awesome quote of like, it's fitting that the apprentice of Kanan should have this piece. Um, so it's really cool. We see he ends up going back to a blue saber from the green saber that he had at the end of Rebels. Um, and then Sabine's kind of watching all this happen. And she eventually kind of disappears and ends up out with Ahsoka. And again, this is where, like, I really love watching Ahsoka's leadership transform through this episode because you start with this interaction between um, Ahsoka and Sabine where basically Ahsoka recalls back to Clone Wars when basically the whole Jedi Order kind of turned on her except for Anakin. Um, And then she calls back just that, you know, regardless of whatever decision I made, regardless of whatever I did, Anakin always stood by me. And so I'm going to stand by you. Um, And it's just this really cool growth moment i feel like there's a lot of like master apprentice resolutions that happen because you know we had ahsoka had her master apprentice resolution earlier and now sabine and ahsoka are going to have this master apprentice resolution that happens in this episode um and they have this really cool conversation about like um you know how she kept up with her training and she's like i try and then pauses and rephrases i do i do which is a really cool quote to yoda and actually if you listen closely yoda's theme um plays over this scene in the background, kind of as they're talking about, you know, want to do or do not, there is no try reference. And then additionally, um, 
there's they just had this conversation about how like you know train your body train your mind train your body and then like you'll be able to um connect to the force and so there's just i don't know really cool moment there where they're it's a very yoda-esque conversation i guess so it's kind of cool that they included that theme in there anyway so then we have the tie fighters show up sabine destroys them they have to figure out how are we going to get back to stop thrawn um and so thrawn prepares for this ground assault as and Thrawn is just, you know, Thrawn being Thrawn. There's a lot of this episode, I feel like there's the Ezra being Ezra category, and then there's the Thrawn being Thrawn category. So there's a lot of that that happens here. But I'll let somebody take over from there. Yeah, and then there's the Ahsoka being Anakin uh, uh, scenes. But yeah, just moving on from there, we get to essentially where they decide to just go ahead and storm the castle because they know that, or storm the fortress because they know like, all right, Thrawn's about to get ready to leave. We need to basically either stop him or be able to leave ourselves, you know. Mm. And so, uh, Soka decides to, you know, let's take our little uh bat, horse, wolf thing, and <laughs> and they all decide to storm the fortress fr- through the front door, uh, clear and while wow, avoiding fire from the sky. Yep, just straight up. Because there will be no negotiating with the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker. Exactly. Like he he knows that like he knows that there's no use talking with her. So it's like we we might as well just go ahead, kill him right then and there, blow everything sky high. Uh, yeah. For for the next part, Meech, I was gonna have a get it off your chest, but what happened during the scene? I was like, okay, I get what happened. I know you're happy about it. So like when they storm the uh, gates and like all the stormtroopers are there and they get mollywopped. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get it off your chest about this because we got to talk about stormtroopers. But the next part, if you want to get into it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So they go in, huge number of stormtroopers and the and the three Jedi. Oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. The two Jedi and the Mandalorian uh, decide to go out and uh, and murk all of them. But then Morgan decides Morgan and all the nicest they use their magic, their new magic abilities and. And this just turned from uh, stormtroopers into death troopers, my guy. It is time. We finally got our zombies, okay? <laughs> the the horror in me. The man who read the, the death troopers novel inside and out and listened to the audiobook more times than I listened to different podcasts, okay? I, it was in my soul and I was happy. All right, I was in emotional height. I was in euphoria. Okay, I I was in p- pure bliss because I'm like, yes, rise, rise. <laughs> and they still got the the knights. You know, they still got the knight sister uh, mentality. You know, they all still getting up. They their armor gets fixed. Uh, every single damage that they get, uh, it's no use. So our our troopers, they, I mean, well, I said our troopers. That's crazy. Uh, our trio. They they had they had no choice but to run, and and run they did. They started running upstairs, and this is where I began to start thinking like, is this about to be a scenario where like each one is gonna have to like get split off in order to like complete a different mission? Like one person has to hold them back, one person got to go find the night scissors to take them out, and then the third person has to go stop Thrawn. That's where I thought this was going, and it semi happened. All right, it semi happened. So of course they're throwing uh they're throwing up shields they're d- destroying all the doors these troopers they they out here they out here out here and when they finally get up they finally get to the top 
Oh, oh, before I do that, before I say who who shows up, essentially Morgan ends up having a talk with Thrawn and and what happens is like, hey, Thrawn, Thrawn uses like, hey, they about to reach us. <laughs> we need more time. He was like, hey, you know that, that power up you got and the blade of Tizen? Um, we're going to need you to uh, hand I'm that. Gonna need you to go run that. All right. <laughs> you ain't coming with us. But thank you for coming to get us. Listen, listen. Hey, rem- remember your oath for the Empire. All right. And, you know, I think it really shows that Thrawn is willing to sacrifice anyone and everyone. Like, hey, he's not, cool. this is not like a loyalty thing. This is like, you are a pawn for me to use in my chess game. And Exactly, he's practical. Yeah. I do think, coming back to that point about how Night Sisters are only loyal to each other, Thrawn's us for the Empire, but what Morgan says is for Dathomir at the end. So I think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. piece there. Yep. Cause he, cause essentially he knows like, hey, Thrawn is the way to save Dathomir, so uh, we gotta save this man. All right, so R.I.P. to me, and let's let's go. Let's to the ending now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So now they're up, and now they reach the top, and Morgan's there. So Ahsoka has to be the one to. I have to say this. There's no way Morgan should be going one on one with Ahsoka. There's no realm in which Morgan should be going one-on-ones. I know she got a power-up. I know she got a blade that is indestructible. There's no way, physically speaking, she should be able to go one-on-one with Ahsoka for as long as she did. But continue. Well, and this is part two also, because you remember the first time that they dueled together was in The Mandalorian. And so we've seen them duel together before. Ahsoka won that time. And then now we see them duel again, and Ahsoka really wins this time. Yep, wins finally um <laughs> in the finale so and of course like she said all right it's gonna be just us two we need to run our ones you two go ahead and unfortunately when they decide to go ahead uh they run into they run into some problems all right and these problems is called uh zombie and troopers all right <laughs> so two specific zombie night troopers are running their whole entire fade and and from and of course like they getting their their behinds whooped because they they zombies they're wearing special armor it it ain't looking good ahsoka she she doing her best she doing awesome and then the rest of the zombie troopers get there so so it's basically a 1v1000 <laughs> well actually a 1v infinite because those zombie troopers ain't dying so yes it's a 1v infinite and then you got a 2v2 that's that's going heavily against them and of course, as we know, the heroes gotta, they gotta pull through somehow. And my prediction came true. Yep. That's when it happens. You got Sabine. She getting choked by, uh, by a zombie trooper, her lightsaber out of reach. And she evokes uh, Luke Skywalker in episode five when he was dealing with that, uh, <laughs> when he, when he was in that cave, just reached out, he just reached out. She grabbed it. And then she pulled a Ben Skywalker on, uh, as he did to that Praetorian guard and just, or boop, right through the head. I think it's because of the midichlorians in the new galaxy that powered up her force abilities. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Oh, we ain't about to- Actually, actually, I, you know, since you brought that up, like, I really feel like, again, we talked about how there's a lot of, like, master apprentice resolutions in this episode i think really the fact that sabine was finally able to tap in and access that we know she's been blocked and guarded for a while um ahsoka tells her to trust in the force earlier and i think that's a really big moment because trust requires vulnerability 
which means she has mm-hmm. to let her guard down. So I think her having that talk with Ahsoka, one, realizing, okay, it's my mind that I have to train first. I have to trust in the force, which means I have to allow myself that vulnerability to trust the force. And then being resolved with Ahsoka, knowing that Ahsoka is going to stand by her no matter what. I think those are all those elements that allow Sabine to kind of finally have the connection with the force that like Ahsoka has been knowing that she's able to have. So that's my take on that. Yeah. So I can finally stop calling uh, Sabine and Mandalorian. I can finally officially call her a Mandalorian Jedi. Let's get it. But yeah. And then of course, Ezra, he seeing that his girl is now fully uh Jedi out. He can finally like pull up and finally uh say, no, it's time for me to show out. I am about to be outdone by her. Decapitates his a zombie trooper with some help from her, by the way. And then, of course, uh, Morgan gets, uh, she gets packed up. She gets, yeah, she gets packed up. <laughs> well, she was about to get, well, Morgan gets packed up, but, uh, but essentially we get to probably one of the biggest moments if, uh, Jamie wants to, Jamie wants to take over about the choice. Yes. So what we see at the end here is that, you know, the ship's already taken off. And, um, you know, the, we have Ahsoka has sent Sabine and Ezra to go basically stop Thrawn, right? Um, and then actually Sabine kind of stops to question it for a minute, even before they split off in the first place to say, we're supposed to stay together, remember? And Ahsoka says, no, you have to stop Thrawn, go. And so the ship starts to take off. Um, Ezra and Sabine are in a situation where it's like, okay, like if you, if you jump, I push you, you pull me, we can make it, let's go. Um, and Ezra kind of hesitates for a second, like, are you sure? And Sabine's like, no, I can do this. Come on, let's go. Um, and so she ends up pushing Ezra across. Ezra does as Ezra does um, yeah. and kind of, you know, knocks off those uh, lovely stormtroopers that are waiting for him after Sabine shoots one of them, too. And so he says, OK, so come on, Sabine, and then turns around to try to pull her back. And then Sabine kind of glances back to Ahsoka, looks at Ezra, seems like she's ready to run and jump off. And then we see her kind of show back up with Ahsoka at the end a few minutes later. So the really cool moment about that is the mistakes that that, uh, Sabine has made as we move through the show has always been because she's chosen Ezra, right? Like her mistake of losing the map in the first place is because she chose Ezra. She tried to find Ezra. Her mistake of bringing them to Peridia in the first place. She chose Ezra by giving Balin the star map, right? And so this time it's kind of like she's, you know, again, this is the resolution episode. So she's making a resolution for that. She's making um, the right choice this time in not choosing Ezra, right? She's she's already done what she's needed to do for Ezra. So now she has to choose for, for her, but also for her master for that, you know, what is the right choice for her in this situation. And so following Hiang's previous advice from episodes ago, she decides to stay together with Ahsoka and shows up. And then they have their final confrontation. We find out that Yang has had the ship that's ready to go. So like they go run Thrawn actually after he kind of takes off, um, turns around and basically annihilates the entire building they've been using as their headquarters um, just in time for Ahsoka and Sabine to jump off and catch up with Yang on their newly repaired Jedi ship. So they start this pursuit of trying to catch up to Thrawn before he jumps into hyperspace. Now, there's a really interesting interaction that once again, I think it highlights just how terrified of Anakin that Thrawn is because he has this moment where he's like okay open a channel and like basically he kind of taunts Ahsoka with um Anakin's past with Anakin's story and the fact that she's connected to that um and so you know he taunts her basically saying like 
Ah, the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker. Basically, you lived up to my expectations. You're just what I expected you would be. Um, and one one wonders just how alike the two of you are and what you might become. And so he's kind of like taunting her. And then his final line is basically, one might think this is where Ronan like yourself belongs. And what I love about that is it's like, I think that shows how terrified he is of Anakin and Anakin's legacy that he wants her stuck in that universe so that Anakin's apprentice can't turn around and like, you know, be all of the things that Anakin was and maybe more. I don't know. But I think that more highlights how terrified, how terrified he is. But it's just a really cool line. So then they launch into hyperspace. Um, Ahsoka and Sabine get left behind. So they, you know, kind of, Actually, there's a really funny moment that, like, my medical brain kind of <laughs> shot into where, like, they have all these alarms blaring and they're just kind of sitting in the fact that, dang it, we didn't catch up to him. And then she, like, turns off the alarm and I'm like, <laughs> alarm fatigue, LOL. Um, anyway, it's medical humor. Moving on. So basically, the, um, you know, they have to come back to their lovely Ewok slash Nodi people um, and then kind of rejoin where Ezra's been. So it's almost like they swapped places, which is, you know, interesting because at the beginning of the show, we have Ahsoka and Sabine trying to like find a way to either stop Thrawn, maybe find Ezra, who knows. And then at the end of the show, we send Ezra and Thrawn back to our known galaxy and Ahsoka and Sabine are left behind. Um, Now, we have a few loose ends that the show kind of tries to wrap up for us, which, again, leaves us with many more questions and honestly leaves us wanting more, which is probably a good thing. It means there's places to go. So we have, first of all, again, we mentioned Ahsoka and Sabine go back to our Nodi kind of nomadic peoples, back to their little pods um, with Yang. And then Morai makes an appearance, um, which I think is the first time we've seen her in this show. Yep. Uh, Morai, for those of you who don't know, are the, it's, she's called a convor. It's like the owl thing that flies around. Um, she has a connection with Ahsoka. She also has a connection to the daughter, who we're going to get to in just a second. Um, we see Shin, who's had a really interesting, she, she has a really interesting character development that we'll come back to in a little bit because I do want to talk about it more. But Shin um, has this moment where like, you know, after she runs away from Ahsoka offering to help her in episode seven, she goes back to these, um, what they call them, they're like, yeah, bandits, yeah. those people. And then, she, yeah, she has this scene where she's just sitting on her howler. She, like, raises her lightsaber in the air. So this kind of seems to suggest, like, is Shin going to go start the Knights of Ren? That's, like, really like interesting. She seems like she's going to go, like, yeah, go, like, become the leader of this bandit people. Then we flash to Balin. This is probably the most interesting part of the episode, not going to lie. Um, especially for those of us that are Clone Wars fans, because if you watch the Clone Wars, you will remember that the Mortis arc was one of the best arcs in the whole show. Okay, so Balin shows up. Um, he's kind of in this mountain terrain area. And as it zooms out, you realize he is standing on a statue of the father with his hand pointing out to the distance. Um, next to him is the son. And then on the other side of him, you can see the body of the daughter, but her head's missing. So the daughter statue is destroyed for whatever reason. We don't know. It doesn't explain it. There's also a schism um, between the father and the daughter that there's not between the father and the son in the statue, which I don't know if that's just, you know, natural features or if there's symbolism to it. But anyway, so we get the father, the son, and the daughter make this appearance. And then again, it flashes back to Balin and he's looking in the distance and there's this little flickering light kind of at the top of one of these mountains in the distance, which looks eerily similar to the Temple of Mortis. 
from just from a distance and how the Temple of Mortis appeared in the Clone Wars. So that's a really interesting kind of tidbit there that that's all they really leave you with. And then we flash back to um, Sabine and Ahsoka. Actually, because I can't remember exactly what were all this coming. I think Sabine and Ahsoka last. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Ezra, Ezra we've got next. Ezra, again, Ezra doing what Ezra does. Um, Before Thrawn made his escape, Ezra did his classic, like, voice impersonation and then impersonate a stormtrooper. Um, And so he actually, we see this, like, imperial-looking ship that's flying up to our, not the Rebel Alliance anymore, but the Republic ships. And Hera and her squad kind of has guns drawn. They're like, what is this ship that's coming in? Chopper immediately starts chattering and then as this like stormtrooper that clearly was you know looking like he's one of thrawn steps out of this ship chopper run runs in the way that droids run (laughs) runs over zooms over to ezra um and then he's like chattering and i guess i kind of gave it away but you know ezra pulls his helmet off and lo and behold it's ezra but there's this really interesting interaction with hera um one Hezra doesn't or hera doesn't run to hug him which is kind of weird but also you if you want the stock the stock yeah, she is in shock, but I really love um, props to Mary Elizabeth Winstead for the acting in this moment because you can really see like she's grappling with the, oh my gosh, Ezra, you're home. But then she also has this moment of, wait, what does that mean? And I think like there's a combination of, does that mean that she realizes Thrawn might actually be back? Or is she questioning like, but wait, you're here alone. Where's Ahsoka and Sabine? Like, I think she's got this really interesting, there's lots going on in her facial expressions in that scene, which is really cool. Made you look like you want to say something. Oh, no, nah, no, nah, we're good. We're good. Yeah, I was just going to like mention, like, there's this, just this one also tiny scene that happens, like, technically it happens before we get uh, Ezra. And it's basically of Thrawn and everybody else re- reaching reaching home, reaching the good old home of Dathomir. And we got all the coffins uh, in inside the great mothers. They ready to start partying, about to rebuild the people's. Uh, make Dathomir great again, and oh and yeah, just <laughs> and just Thrawn and Enoch just out here vibing, chilling. There's like, all right, one step down, a whole empire to go. Let's get it. Oh my goodness, yes. So then to cap it all off, again we end up back with Ahsoka and Sabine at like the little noty peoples. It's kind of night, or like it's becoming night, dusk, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then. You know, Ahsoka and Sabine are having this conversation where it's like, you know, you you got Ezra where he needed to be and we're where we need to be. And then there's this really cool moment where like Sabine kind of like looks out into the distance and she's like, huh, like acting like she kind of starts to speak as if she sees something and Ahsoka's like, what? And she's like, never mind. It's just it must just be the light playing tricks or whatever and kind of steps away. And then Ahsoka turns around again and steps back. And lo and behold, she starts to kind of smile. And as the camera pans out, you see that the Force Ghost of Anakin is present, smiling in approval of all of the events of what have transpired. So we get, you know, our final scene of the series with Master Anakin making his appearance. And that is the close of our show. Yes, I'm glad y'all were so happy and optimistic, but y'all missed something. Um, Sabine never told Ezra how she got there. No, 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 no. I no, mean, actually, no, actually, pretty th- obvious by the time that <laughs> directly we Basically, never got his reaction. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like it, they never tell the reaction, but they, but you just see that, like, when they were in the ship and Ezra was building the lightsaber, he was like, all right, we just have to like stop Thrawn, which means that all the beans must have gotten spilt at that point. And Ezra being Ezra, 
clearly but got, they got attacked in the last episode though by troopers so it's you're gonna have to tell her to know that well i think it's more like as soon as they get there and he sees the eye of scion and he sees the whole situation like i think and he already knows kind of what they're getting into before they get there so she he clearly knows at some point and you know if if Sabine didn't tell him that Ahsoka would have told him, I think we just don't see it. I don't think she doesn't tell him. I think we just don't see it on screen. Y'all being very generous. I don't think she told him because she spent two to three straight episodes avoiding it. And then Ahsoka, we talked about it in each last episode where she uh, they traded that look where it's like, I'm not going to tell him right now, but you need to tell him. And they never got that reaction. So... I'm just saying, yeah, I don't right? think it would have been Ezra just being Ezra. He's like, oh, really? Uh, okay, then I guess we just got to go ahead and stop this man. Like, he would have immediately disrupted. I really think that it is a conversation that happened in the interim, like between episode seven and eight. Like, That's because because Ezra, Ezra is very clearly aware of what they're up against by the time we get into episode eight, which means that that conversation has to have happened for him to know. It's not just Thrawn. Like, there's other details that we're up against here. Additionally, the fact that, like, Shin and, like, Balin and all those guys show up in episode seven, like, you know, he knows that there's more to this this story that's going on. So I, I think that it's a conversation that happens in the interim between episode seven and eight because he's clearly not asking questions by the time that they get to, like, seeing the eye of scion like you know he's not like oh where'd that come from like he knows by that point so i think it did happen i think we just didn't see it okay it's a bit of a checkoff's gun why ha- like repeatedly have it where you're avoiding the conversation to then just be like oh they, they had it obviously you know but well, i think that's mind. very in character for them too so exactly. i don't know <laughs> when speaking of in character moments this was like a really fun scene um just to kind of go back to when they're confronting um our lovely undead troopers um, and they seal them off originally in the first place. There's this really cool banter moment that happens where like Ezra's like, oh, nice moves. And Ahsoka's like, yeah, she's been practicing. And Spin goes, what's your excuse? And like, it's their normal banter. And then Ezra like totally kind of breaks a little bit from the banter and he just goes, I missed you. And it's just, it's really cute. Like, oh, what like, is going to bring me back to the fact that Ezra has always been the one that's simping for Sabine way, way harder and more than any anything in the other direction. But just had to throw that out. Even though but, the season kind of started with them, basically. He sacrificed the, the galaxy for him. I mean, that's yes, next level. Yes, but he did first so, so. Yeah. hey this is a this is a case of uh reciprocation this is a this is a level of uh this is this is what men aspire for to happen eventually Ayo! uh well what simps aspire to happen eventually ain't that right demetrius i'm not a simp not anymore i i gave it away my god i wonder why uh but but also there's one thing i also just uh wanted to bring up i don't think we talked about it was essentially the scene of ezra just being essentially getting caught up to speed on everything that happened and just and just essentially like how essentially he he finds out that uh all of sabine's family is just dead and And just really just, you can just tell like just how like, oh, oh. Which that's, that's a really important scene too, because, you know, we kind of, I think we brought this up um, when I was on for the episode five recap that like, you know, at the end of episode four, 
um, when Balin has that comment about like, oh, it's Ahsoka's fault that your family's dead, basically. It's like something to the gist of that. It's like, wait a minute. If Sabine's family's dead, like that's new since the last time we saw them in Rebels. And so we actually get the full story from Heang that actually, you know, and this got brought up in The Mandalorian as well. Like when the Empire basically raised and purged the surface of Mandalore, apparently Sabine's family were all casualties in that whole experience. And so while it showed up in kind of another show, it wasn't really expanded on in this one. And so, yeah, now we're seeing some of the very personal impacts to Sabine about what happened. And then even we learned some of Ahsoka's like skepticism and what happened between them originally, how she was just afraid of what Sabine might become in dealing with all of that. So... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Final thoughts on the show before we move to MVP and then the rating. Oh my goodness. Opus, greatness. <laughs> uh, just, man, just a lot. Just a lot. Too much to say. It's, yeah, man, very, very good show. I think the, the directions that many of these different characters take is probably one of the more interesting parts of the show. Like, even... Like, let's take Shin, for example. She's a very interesting character to me by the end of the show because in the beginning, she's kind of just, you know, going along with whatever Balin does. And then by the time we get to, like, episodes, like, six and seven, we start to see kind of this divide between Balin and Shin where, like, Balin's got this whole, like, other focus that he's doing. And then Shin's kind of like, one, she's like, oh, there's so many witches everywhere. Why are there so many witches? Which is still a really funny thing. Um, But then it's like they just, they see things, they start to see things very differently. And even in episode seven, you start to see like Balin's like, no, nah, I got my own path to track. So you're you're going to go off and do your own thing. So it's like, wait, is he abandoning her? Like what's happening there? And there's like there's just some lack of cohesion with what she's doing there. So I actually thought she was going to end up turning around and like maybe helping our heroes and joining them. But, you know, obviously she went to their own thing. But even things like that, where it's like there's just with Balin, with Shin, with like all of our different independent characters, there's so many interesting questions and storylines you could get into with each of them. So, yes. And um, that's kind of with Raiden, but I'll just say like this show, I believe out of all the Star Wars shows did the best in terms of taking nostalgia, but also expanding and creating its own story. Like I think Obi-Wan heavily relied on nostalgia but it was also in a set point of time so it's like they were kind of constricted in the story that they could tell with ahsoka it did re- not rely it used utilized nostalgia a lot but it was like creative to the own story because there's like 20 to 30 years of just like free stories that they can tell so i think they did an excellent job with that so with that we can get into our mvps of the show and then any other awards we have do i you know what i'm just go ahead rip this band-aid right on off MVP Thrawn. Right. That's that's off of the show. <laughs> Interesting. He's off of the show. He MVP of the show. He is him of the show. Okay. As soon as because who else? Who who else won? Who else won a hundred percent definitively? I mean Ahsoka apparently. She she reached enlightenment. Yeah, yeah. That is no, that is emotionally and spiritually winning. We are talking stacks. We talking big wins out here. W's. We talking just W's and handing out L's left and right. And that's what Thrawn did. He won. Okay. He got what he wanted. He managed to secure the dub. Sure. He was terrified of Ahsoka, but he still managed to account for Ahsoka. I feel like he was more wary than scared. I know there are close to an He's definitely so. scared. Maybe it's because he doesn't blink. So, well, you say he was intrigued. He was a uh, he was very much 
He said, no, he bre- he he was just plotting. He was just plotting. All right. Because in the way, we still have not seen this man sweat. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He, he, he hadn't sweat once. It's hard to see it on blue skin. I mean, we have seen his facial expressions visibly change on, um, you know, learning of a certain person's Jedi Master's identity. So, like, I'd say that's pretty close. Eh, it's close, but uh, but he ain't there because he still got the dub at the end. Uh, I'm I'm just saying he big op, he big MVP. He he knew what he had to do. He was willing to sacrifice what he he willing to do whatever it took to get that dub. And and who else can say he got zombie troops? I'm I'm just saying I'm just saying who else got death troopers? <laughs> Not me. I don't have death troopers yet. Jamie, who is your MVP of the show? My goodness, this is like the most difficult MVP I've had to choose yet with you guys. I feel like. Uh, I feel like I have to pick two. Like, I don't know if I can pick one because principally, first and foremost, I have to have Anakin as an MVP of this show because without his interference, without his guidance, without that, again, Master Apprentice resolution, he's like the catalyst of everything that happens after that point. Um, And so I think, you know, him showing up, him giving Ahsoka that final lesson, him like actually really clarifying what his legacy really is because i think we even see that in um ahsoka later on in the show like when she decides to stand by sabine when she decides to like you know recognize that anakin was a really good master and always stood by her like that's anakin's real legacy his real legacy is not death and destruction his real legacy is loyalty with like no expenses spared like he is always the one who will go all out for you if he's loyal to you. And that's what caught him in trouble with Palpatine in the first place. He had loyalty to Palpatine because they were friends and he had, you know, Palpatine had helped him and Palpatine used that to manipulate him to the dark side. But like Anakin's real legacy is loyalty. And I think that we see that and I think we see, you know, the many ways that that manifests. But it's also this, again, like this idea of balance and this idea of like coming into accepting like all the things that you are, recognizing that you're more than just this one small category and because he has that moment with ahsoka she's then able to take that and be the leader that the rest of the show needs so of course my other mvp has to be ahsoka because the way that she shows up as a leader in the rest of the show the fact that she has this optimism that shows up after she's had this resolution with all of the conflict from the things that happened with anakin um the fact that she's like i mean every moment after episode five like she's like she's not deterred by anything like even when the ship like gets destroyed Ezra's like well this is gonna slow us down a bit and she's like "Hmm, only if we let it and so again it's like this tenacious no quit optimistic like attitude where she's also choosing to step into that loyalty of Anakin and it's interesting Thrawn tries to kind of throw the negative side of that legacy at her but I don't think it really affects her in that moment because she's already figured out no this is what Anakin's real legacy is this is the real legacy that I'm part of um and so that's really cool and just to have her step into the leader that she needs to be like that scene where it's ezra sabine and ahsoka taking on all those troopers it's ahsoka that's coordinating she's using all of their strengths she knows all of their strengths so she tells sabine you know when to switch between blasters and saber and like she even has the faith in sabine the first time she really uses the force in the show is when they try to get that door open because ezra's starting ahsoka says she's like no sabine help and so it's like i don't know just this really cool way for her to fully come into what Anakin always knew that she could be. Um, and so I just really, I really love that about kind of how we finish with the show. And then again, she steps into this like, you know, we're here at the end of this and like, 
this is what it is. So we're where we need to be. And we're going to figure out what that means, but we're where we need to be. So I don't know. I, those have got to be my MVPs of the show, Anakin and Ahsoka. You explained everything. Biggest idiot of the show has someone's name on it, but I'm going to wait till season two or the movie to see. I got to see how many bodies that Thrawn catches first before I hand it over to the person that's about to get simp of the show. And that is going to Sabine. For every reason we have stated before, she sacrificed the galaxy for love. So, so it is what it is. We can describe it how we want to describe it. Dang, this man really had had a whole oh, this man we god we we are experiencing something incredible we we've just experienced a man's whole villain arc begin he went from simp of the year to now actively hating simps that's crazy super sweet fifth is back especially because i still feel like ezra arguably had the largest simp moment out of all of them but okay people are gonna die because of her directly i i don't know what to say <laughs> So any other awards I want to give out? Uh, Grandmaster of the Year goes to Anakin. Um, um, uh, let's see. Uh, still the still the spotlight. Uh, Anakin. Um, a greatest actor award goes to both. Well, goes to three people. It goes to Rosario Dawson, Hayden Christensen, and R.I.P. to the goat Ray Stevenson. Um, the to. To the Legend in the Sky Award that goes to Ray Stevenson, did a phenomenal job. Uh, shame that he that he wasn't able to see uh, see like all the fan reaction, the fan reception to the show, and just how much his character is beloved. Uh, that does bring the question: What in the world's going to happen to his character afterwards? But that's that's a conversation that we can have next. Uh, in terms of like the big picture of everything, but phenomenal job to. To the mercenary yeah i feel like i'm gonna have to say like most interesting newcomer slash most interesting plot twist has got to go to balin because that's like there's just so many questions that i have about like even thrawn like immediately recognizes oh you're general balin's full like recognize him as a jedi and then like um he just yeah he's always kind of on this like separate level the whole show of what he's really after and so you're never really able to quite piece together like what is he really trying to do here what is his role in this story until we get to the end and he goes off and apparently is chasing like the gods of mortis or something because like well we'll get into that in a minute but yeah that's probably the most interesting thing and then man i just i don't know what award this would be i guess we could just give it biggest op or whatever but like i just from the moment that thrawn came onto the screen it was like that is thrawn like every aspect was nailed in thrawn like it just literally it was i don't even i have the words clearly for <laughs> how incredible that was to one see him in live action but two just like every element like that is thrawn great adaptation um, award yeah, there you go. We can do that. Um, yeah, just like the execution was phenomenal. The just totally terrifying, cool-headed, always in control of the chessboard Thrawn that we know and love. Um, that was him. 100% was him. So it'll be really interesting to see the further role that he has to play in all of this. Excellent. So with that, I'm guessing we're all going to say it's, this show is a hit. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm same view, even had to ask. Well, there we go. Moving forward. So just kind of speed run through the rest of the show. We are getting into the big questions of the week slash show. You only get one question just because of time's sake. So, Jamie, hit it up. Oh, man. 
Ah, uh, this is difficult. Okay, so my biggest question, I feel like again, it's, it's going to come down to um, it's going to come down to what Balin's really chasing, um, and how connected are we to Mortis, to the world between worlds, to all of that? Because uh, I don't know if we're going to get into this in the big picture, but in the case that you know, I'm bringing it up, so let's just talk about it now. Um, you know, we, I mentioned like, we've got the father, the son and the daughter that make a physical appearance in the statues that they're at. Um, and then we have this like thing in the distance that again, really resembles the temple of Mortis. But then, you know, what does that mean about, because when we see rebels, when the world between worlds first shows up again, it's the father, the son and the daughter that are guarding the world between worlds. And so we know that the daughter refers to them as the middle, the beginning and the end, specifically in that category. Balin has said that he's chasing the beginning. So, like, does that mean that each of them represents, like, one of those elements and he's chasing a specific one or he's just chasing, like, the Mortis entities specifically? Like, how does Mortis factor into this? Is Peridia actually Mortis or does it have, like, a portal into Mortis? Or is it, like, because I, I have this theory that Mortis might actually be, like, either the seat or the origin of the world between worlds and that's why they're the guardians of it. That's why they're there. But again, if you watch the Mortis arc, like Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka basically get sucked in through this giant Sith holocron looking thing when they even go to Mortis in the first place. So it's not actually clear where Mortis physically is. So again, like, is he able to actually like physically get to Mortis from where he's at? Like what what implications does that have for the rest of the show? I think that's kind of my biggest my biggest question and biggest point of curiosity moving forward. All right. All right, so that is also one of my biggest questions, and uh, shout out to Big Abeloth, uh coming in. But also, but pretty much my biggest question is, with Thrawn now back in the galaxy, how is this going to galvanize the uh, remaining cells of the Empire? Uh, so essentially, like, with his new game plan being to just restore the Empire to absolute greatness, um, and with him at the head of it, how is it all going to play out? Is this going to be a case of where the where the New Republic, they're going to show even more incompetence or well, actually, they're going to have to show supreme incompetence because the first order has to rise up. And speaking of is Thrawn basically going to be the origin of the first order? Because if because if he's back, like this man going to have to do He's going to have to do major damage to the galaxy. And with basically 20 years of stories of stories left to tell, we could go anywhere right now. And but we all still know like we're still constrained to the sequels right now. We're still constrained to that byline of the first order has to rise. But before that, we still have all Thrawn. So like, what is his factor going to be in that? How is he going to get taken out? Because you hear hide nor hair of this man when the first order rises. So how is he going to die? And when is he going to, you know, when he's going to get taken out? What's his gonna, reaction going to be when he finds out the the grandmaster of the new Jedi order is uh, Luke? Um, and and with that and like how, he, how is he going to like and attempt to Luke play? Skywalker nonetheless? Yes. And also the same man who took down uh, Palpatine. I'm, I'm just saying but uh and then the fact that uh skywalker's daughter is also the is head senator out here so this man about to be sweating 
and seeing like how all his plans for Anakin's basically going to go straight to the wayside because Luke is not his daddy. Uh, like Luke is supremely not like his dad. Uh, in fact, you could say Leia is more like his dad than, yes. than Luke is. Yes, so, Leia, Leia is Anakin's kid, 100,000%. <laughs> so, th- so we can tell Thrawn, he's probably going to get... S- He's probably going to get messed up by that distinction between the two of them. So, so how's, so essentially at the end of the day, connection to the first order, how is he going to get defeated and what damage is he about to do to the new Republic that basically leads to the rise of the new order? So yeah, my main one would be Balin Skull. So like, obviously, are they going to recast the character? Are they going to drop that entire storyline? Does it tie into like, uh, pre or post sequels so i don't have to recap that like james said but going off of what misha's point um tying that into luke since there are 20 years between the first order rising and then you know kylo doing his thing wiping out you know pulling pulling a granddaddy and wiping out the younglings there have to be like we saw in the mandalorian that luke is currently building up uh it right now what jedis are going to be like offshoots of that though because we saw like Obviously, like post uh, Order 66, there are a lot of Jedi in the wild, as they say. But so what Jedi's like start as kids, let's say the next five years, and then they grow and then they go on their own and are like out before the fall of that temple. And do they we see them getting tied into like stopping Thrawn before like everything else? Hal Kestis. <laughs> oh, well, we would flip out if Cal Kestis pops up. I see Cameron Monaghan anywhere in any Star Wars related property. I'm going to freak. In the fact, third, the third yeah, game. He already, not just, yeah, he already confirmed that there's a third game. I'm, I, I, I need questions answered. I need questions answered. Yes. So big picture view. Oh, wait, wait. Also about going to different galaxies too. Hmm. We might be on some boys and girls. <laughs> we got it. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I want to tack on one more tiny question while, since we brought up Luke and Leia about Leia specifically, um, just because, you know, Demetrius, you've kind of been on this with the whole bureaucracy thing or whatever. I'm just really curious. Currently, she's still Senator Organa. Eventually, she's going to become General Organa. So, like, she, we know she's head of the Defense Council, but, like, I'm just curious, like, what mess of bureaucracy is going to push her to stepping back from Senator and just stepping into General? Like, how is that all going to play out? The first one. Where, where she is now to... <laughs> well, yes, but I mean, like, is it specifically because, like, well, and Hera's not in the sequels, obviously. So, like, is it just, like, oh, no. Hera either steps down to raise Jason or has, you know, maybe she dies, I don't know, and then Leia just decides to step in and take the role? Or is it literally just that she could not handle the stupidity of dealing with bureaucrats anymore, and so she steps out? That's that's all right so now we get into the big picture view we've kind of touched on a lot of different things with that i guess like trying to like you two would probably know better than me but like the next shows and properties coming out i know for a fact the acolyte is coming out but it is way before this time like before anybody was even a blink in their their great 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 grandparents uh lives so that's one thing that i'm definitely looking for is that a show or a um, movie it's a show, um, so far as I know, and I'm not sure who is doing the writing and creating for that. Um, so I guess, again, since we're getting into like Mortis territory here, I guess I'd be really curious if there's tie-ins with some of that as well. But like, I would only suspect that that's a possibility if like Dave or John was part of the project, but I don't know who's writing it. So, but it does look very good. So we got that. We have, I know uh, Andor season two is dropping next year. So that's going to be fire that extreme storytelling 
Um, there are questions about an Obi-Wan. What, what you got, Mitch? All right. I saw I pulled up some more information on the Acolyte. Uh, also, this could very well just be changed, could be changed at this point, because as we know, the uh, writer strike did affect a lot of things. So this very well could change. So it's, apparently the Acolyte takes place during the High Republic. So 100 years before the main series. Um, and as far as who is writing it right now, uh, there are like people are speculating Filoni's hands are in it, but that's again, it's only speculation at this point. There's been no like official names put on it yet. Yeah. So then also with that, I believe Mandalorian is done until the movie. That's what I've heard. Like they're going to end it with a movie. Like obviously like the big movie where everyone's going to join in, but I don't know if they're getting another season before the movie. Sure. So with that, and then also, I, I feel like they want to do a Ahsoka season two before they get to a movie, you know, just to kind of, you know, milk that cow, if you will. Well, there's no Ahsoka season two on the books at all. So there was only a planned season one. Um, So I don't know. I don't know when this movie is coming out either, because that's going to have a factor of like, OK, how much is left to bridge us to the movie? How much time is there left? I know Rosario Dawson's been very openly like, yes, I'm ready to go. Let's do another season. But I don't know where the plans of how everything's going to funnel together for the movie happens. So currently there's not plans for a season two, but D Disney is bleeding money and needs people to get on the streaming service. There will be a season two. See, you <laughs> think that you think that, but they're going to milk the Avengers till the day that it dies. <laughs> Did you see that they're cutting um password sharing? <laughs> they need money. Oh, I saw that. I'm just like, dang, that's crazy. MCU and Star Wars are the only reason Disney Plus exists. Yeah, literally it is. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Any other big picture views of just like main villains? Because I feel like with Abeloff, they they wouldn't put it before the sequels. I feel like it might tie into like the new trilogy coming out because like, let's say aliens attack the Earth. I feel like after Aliens Attack Earth 10 years later, we wouldn't necessarily be trying to like world conquering. But, you know, humans are humans. So who knows? Yeah. Well, I think I mean, we we could get into Misha's impression on what role he thinks that Avaloth has. But I'm going to come back to the Mortis for just a second, because as far as big picture goes, I just it's so fascinating that we finished with like the Mortis element because like I just yeah, like why is the daughter destroyed? I have this theory, actually with the Night Sisters, with their physical appearance, with the way that they speak. So the voices of the great mothers actually sound the same as when the father, the son and the daughter speak in the show. So it's like the same type of voice. I have this like theory that like maybe one of the reasons that that statue is there is because like maybe the son created the Night Sisters. Maybe like the Night Sisters like kind of look to the son as their like deity or whatever. I don't really know. I think there's a connection between the son and the Night Sisters. Um, so I don't know. I just I feel like there's a lot of really interesting things there. I do think that like all of those kind of like we alluded to earlier, I think they're going to go try to rebuild Dathomir um, because we know that Dathomir was wiped out um, previously. And that, you know, as they're going back, I think the Great Mothers are going to try to, like, resurrect all of those caskets that they brought over. And so I think Thrawn's going to try to make that, like, a Night Sister army. Now, again, interesting thing of that being that it has been quoted in canon Star Wars that the Night Sisters only have loyalty to each other. So I wonder how that's all going to work out for Thrawn in the end. Um, so, yeah, just big questions there on that. But, yeah. Right. H, you got anything else? 
Big Mama Abelard, she she coming soon. Um, and let's just say that uh that this is probably gonna be like an inside event, something that like Luke Skywalker and like a select few are gonna have to be able to handle. And oh 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 my goodness, I just thought of something crazy. Okay, 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 okay. So we know how in Rise of Skywalker we hear Ahsoka speaking to Ray. Which means that she has to be gone by this point. Does it though? It yes, because it could just be a force like, echo. No, force time. Every, every other, every she did it with Sabine. She did it with Sabine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but who? But in that movie, all the other Jedi are dead. Uh, every last but... one of them were dead. When she, they spoke to Ray, what makes you think Ahsoka would be the only one alive? What makes you think that there was any plan to any of that that happened in Rise of Skywalker in the first place? I thought we established that that there was no plot, there was no Listen, writing. They were we know that there's no heck of it. We know that there is no plot, but because of the fact it's still one universe, we have to be able to make sense out of what's being what's been presented to us. So and and Dimitri can tell you as a story maker that that is something that really is like vital and does have to happen. Uh, in fairness, Ahsoka did semi retcon a lot of stuff. Sim, but it, but you're right, it wasn't like egregious, but it was like subtle. But you're right, Mitch. Like they have yeah, to kind of tie that up. Yeah, so they do have to tie that in somewhat. To so Ahsoka, again, I have to. As much as I don't want it to happen, I have to go based on the assumption that she is dead by the time the sequels happen. And in fairness, that doesn't also mean she was killed because, like Luke, he just went into the forest because he's a coward like his master Yoda. So. Ooh! Ooh! Controversial hot take. Controversial hot takes till the end. Controversial hot take coming by Demetrius and not by me. That's crazy. Um, But, but yeah, so what I was getting at is that there's that, and then there's just, like, it seems that there were, like, not many other, like, Jedi cells left and by the time of the sequels, because otherwise we would have heard something or, like, would have seen it in those movies or even in the novelizations, because even in the novelizations, they don't mention it. So, as such, that begs the question, what happens to every single one of these Jedi that we see or any of these Force users that we see in these respects? in these uh post Disney movies and franchises. So Cal Kestis, RIP. In fairness, Cal Kestis would have been around in the time of the four, five, and six. So like it kind of, you know, it's similar with that. RIP. I'm still gonna maintain that that's more of a reflection of the poor quality of writing of the sequel trilogy than the actual factual state of the Star Wars universe at that time period. Yeah, I and I'm sure you sure you will go with that. But again, as a as a complete writer and a story maker, you kind of you kind of have to work with what you're given. You kind of have to make it make sense. So that's that's even all. If it's so even if it's someone else's mess. Exactly. So that's 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 all I gotta say about that. All right. So we dipped our toes into it, kind of, but now we're getting into the controversial Star Wars takes. Uh, Meech and Jamie, you kind of heard mine. <laughs> already so what do you two have all right jamie what you got before i get in the mouth 
know. What what if my Star Wars takes is controversial? I don't know. I have to think about it. I think you should go first. Okay. All right. So time for some some pure degeneracy right now. Episode three, Revenge of the Sith. We we talking about it. We know the scene where Anakin, or should I say Nightfall Vader, he, he came up in the Je- Jedi Temple and he walked into a room. Master Skywalker, there's too many of them. What are we going to do? And he murks them all. All the younglings dead. They all deserved it. What? <laughs> Why did they deserve it, Meech? Because here's here's my reasoning, all right? They've all been indoctrinated into the Jedi Temple. They've all been indoctrinated with Yoda's mindset and Yoda's teachings, if you will. And at this point, and at that point, we know that like Yoda's line of thinking is literally what bait. Well, him and like a f- few other factors is basically the reason that the Jedi Temple fell and like their whole like cultish attitudes and like culture and their sensibilities and their cultish uh, nature. And at this point, and considering the ages of the respective crew, they it, it would have gotten in their heads. They're lost causes at this point. There could have been another Cal Kestis in the bunch. Cal Kestis, he he was actually he was slightly older. He was slightly older, so that doesn't help your point. No, 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 it does because here's here's my reasoning, right? We we talking about balance, all right? Anakin was was suggested to bring balance to the Force, so the light side and the dark side needed to be in balance. So the big Sith they 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 took over. All the main Jedi, at least the, the highest ranking in terms of power standing, like the Sith, a.k.a. Palpatine and Vader, they, they high, high. And then you can argue that Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi are on similar footing to them, right? Right? Okay, so, <laughs> and as such, and then, and then, of course, the Inquisitors are, like, under Vader and them, and... And there's only like a select few of them. And then on the Jedi side, you, you got some of the stragglers, you know, like like Cal Kestis or or Ahsoka. There are no Sith children. So to bring balance, the younglings had to go. Why do you hate kids? I don't know. There's a story there. Something happened. H. It's for another day. Oh, boy. Do we have to talk about it? Not today. We don't have time for it. <laughs> All I have to say is the youngins had to go. They had to go. Right. It, was, it was part of prophecy. Boy. Um. Okay. I guess there's a couple of things maybe I could think of. I don't know how controversial they actually are. First of all, uh, Mace Windu is the worst Star Wars character, and it's his fault that Anakin falls to the dark side. Um. That's that's one of my hot takes. Um. My other hot take is I think. And this is, I guess, going to be more pertaining to Ahsoka and how it relates to the sequel trilogy. Um, I think the whole premise of, like, a lot of what happens actually in the sequel trilogy is, like, just that idea that, like, I mean, Kylo Ren gets at this. I think Luke gets at it a little bit when he talks about how the Jedi need to die. But it's, like, this idea that, like, we need to be beyond that. We need to be more than just, it's not just Sith and and Jedi. Like, we're meant to be more. Like, there's more than that. We don't have to just stay in these, like, regimented boxes or whatever. I think there's a lot of that that actually shows up in this show. 
Um, Balin's really big on it because, you know, he even tells Shin, like, I trained you to be something more um, than to be Sith or Jedi. Anakin's like, I'm more than that. And you're more than that because I'm more than that. It's just this idea that, like, we are more than just these labels of Jedi and Sith or whatever. Um, so I think I think it's really it's a very strong tie to the sequels. And I think maybe that's even something the sequels did well is like, how do we get beyond like, instead of just staying in this same like ages old Sith and Jedi conflict, like how do we transform this into something more and how do we become more in that? And, you know, it's interesting that Balin's going to take that and chase like what he defines as the origin of power for his more. And then with Ahsoka and Anakin, it's just, we're going to live with this balance of this is how things are. We're going to accept all parts of who we are and not have to like, you know, throw off this or throw off that. We're just going to hold all of it in balance. And this is how we're going to be more. So yeah, I don't know. There's my hot takes. Meech, I know you want to talk about the Mace Wonder one. All right, let's talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk about this black man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, do you know that he apparently, after arresting Palpatine, he would have made Anakin a master right then and there? Um, that does not excuse from the fact that uh, he straight up that he he was just straight up uh jealous of Anakin the entire time. That he was uh kind of on that uh on that timing. I'm pretty sure Vap Vapod, the the Jedi fight fighting style that he developed did not help him in any way whatsoever. Cause even though he's a black man, he was firmly on the dark side. I'm just saying. Don't bury the lead, Meech. He single-handedly soloed the Sith Lord that Anakin slash Darth Vader bow bends the knee to. Single-handedly defeated him if he didn't get cheated. <laughs> Well, okay, no, but that's not even really true because Palpatine was trying to play Anakin the whole time. Like, Anakin just, you know, fell into it because it's Palpatine and Anakin is very emotional. And so he just went with his emotions in the moment. But again, it's Mace's fault in the first place because Mace never trusted him. He was always way too hard on him and way too critical on him and then didn't, like, know how to handle Anakin appropriately in the first place. But again, it was this fear of Anakin. It was this mistrust of Anakin. Like, that... He didn't work with him. He instead kind of like relegated him to this like off other thing. And then even he even said in like Revenge of the Sith, when Anakin like reveals that information to him, it's like, oh, if this is true, then you'll have gained my trust. Like, oh, so you just openly admitted you never trusted me? Like, okay, cool. And then clearly they did actually need Anakin to show up because again, if Palpatine can best Yoda one-on-one, -on -one, like, mm, I don't think he was actually losing to Mace. I think he was framing the situation so that Anakin would come to his rescue. So, again, it's Mace's fault that Anakin fell to the dark side. He is the worst. It, it ain't just Mace's fault. <laughs> don't forget Yoda had a hand in this, too. Yeah, but a much less hand than Mace. Also, shout out to the fact that uh, in Clone Wars, if only Anakin could have seen that uh, vision that uh, Yoda had where he said that where he basically gave praises to Anakin the entire time. It's like how he was the biggest hope of the galaxy. But nope, nope, that's that's not how this tragedy works. I mean, Anakin and Yoda had actually a pretty good relationship in the Clone Wars, like the TV show. So, again. Let go of... It's Mace's fault. <laughs> if Mace was... If it wasn't Mace, if Plo Koon was the one that was there, things probably would have still ended up the same. No, because again, the whole issue of Anakin leaving in the first place was that he never felt supported. He had like he had gone through trauma after trauma after trauma and no one like cared to support him through that. Keyword 
no one. Yeah, but again, there's so a difference literally between everybody. being Obi-Wan and like trying to like be his friend and support him and Mace and like actively terrorizing him. Okay, so come on and now. And who did nothing or Kiari Muti who did nothing. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, if you if you one of those who, who stands Mace by. Mace made himself the villain. If you stand by and do nothing, you're just as much of a villain as the person who does it. I'm not valid, but Mace actually Preach. made himself a villain, and that is different. I'm just saying. Uh, all I'm saying is, I'm not arguing against your point that Mace is a villain. I'm just saying that if it was anybody else in that, look, if it was not Kenobi in that situation, things would have still ended up the same. I mean, Palpatine was but his emotional again, stepdad. You're, what? What'd you say? Palpatine was his emotional stepdaddy. Well, yes, I guess like there's that you're you're saying that that one scene was like what caused like, no, that's not the one scene. It was everything that led up to that one scene. So changing that one scene, yeah, probably doesn't change much. But if you change the way that Mace interacts with Anakin, like all the way back to when he first arrives at the Jedi Temple, who's to say that things wouldn't have gone differently if Mace wasn't such like a mean, like meanie (laughs) to Anakin? I think Anakin needs to take responsibility for his actions. Well, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying that, like, the man did not have adequate support for what this is true. So what you're saying is Anakin's the worst character. No, Anakin was cool. So what I'm saying is, Demetrius, is that Anakin's the worst. That's that's what I'm hearing coming out of your mouth. I will hear no Anakin slander. Listen, that, that ain't come out of my mouth. That came out of his. That's not what I said, nor how I phrased it. I said take responsibility. That ain't how I heard it. All right, so since we have derailed this podcast uh, for this finale, let's do the plugs and sign offs and get up out of here. All right, so we got ourselves our Instagram and our ex, formerly known as Twitter, and our Threads account under Blurred City 22. Like, comment, subscribe. Uh, be you no know, check out the bell. Make sure you're up to date with all notifications of our release schedules and other shenanigans. We have our Discord linked in our those various pages as well. Join a few. A fine community of degenerates as we talk about uh literally anything and everything. And then we also have ourselves our YouTube and our Patreon under Blurred City Pod. For the Patreon, if you donate a little extra chatter, you can become a channel member and then you'll get access to exclusive episodes like Paint. Our character announces of Nagato Uzumaki, aka Pain. Um, and then we also have ourselves our email address, blurredcity22 at gmail.com. That's where you can uh that's where you can submit uh, your geek out freakouts, your reactions to certain shows, your random fan theories, your controversial takes on any fandom, and you can join and you can just send suggestions for further episodes. Finally, I am no longer the Rogue Jedi twenty one on TikTok. I'm now the Jedi Ronin on TikTok. Uh as I am without a master. And as such, I have taken up my place as the Ronin uh, on TikTok. However long we got TikTok left and that may sp- spin off into another side adventure. Uh, what you got? Jamie. Um, yeah. I mean, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, same as before, my uh, Instagram name is jsteach, J-A-Y-S-T-E-A-C-H. Um, yeah. It's Fat Bear Week. I feel like my work partner would be uh, upset with me if I didn't mention it's Fat Bear Week. So if you want to go vote for your favorite fat bear from the uh, National Park System, Google Fat Bear Week. And there you go. You should go do that. Meech. 
<laughs> you made a face. I was like, you, you understand why. All right. So with that, my individual author pages, my Instagram, Mitri underscore dash. That is M-E-T-R-I underscore D-A-S-H. I am no longer responding to thirsty DMs from our elderly fan base. Um, so we're just going to keep it moving. What? Look, our demographic previously we stated was people that are slightly older, but we've been avoiding that. Did you not listen to our thirst episode that we talked about this? I don't remember this. <laughs> Me should recall, right? I wish I didn't. Exactly. So so we're just gonna keep it moving. Um with that, my ex formerly known as Twitter. I, I, I don't even remember. At the bad dash sixteen, I think that's what it is. This oh this episode is Darrell. So <laughs> let's keep going. Let's let's sign off. Just I don't I don't I don't know what to say anymore. Uh you know what? Not goodbye forever. It's just goodbye for now. That's this is the end of the Blurred City Podcast. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>